I woke up very early this morning just excited about coming here, excited about bringing the word forth. Amen. Come on, I ask you to bow your heads right now. Bow your heads all across the sanctuary. I believe that God has a word for you today. I believe God has a mighty word for you. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, in your presence we stand. Just simply desiring that you would have a moment of, uh, of our week, Father God. We're coming here to equip our hearts and minds to withstand another week of living, Father God. We come here to draw closer to you, Father God. We honor you with our hearts, with our words, Father God. And we lift up to you this next few minutes, God, as we prepare to hear your word. We want to be blessed by your word. We want your word to stir up in us. We want your word to be able to truly have an impact in us in the next few minutes, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I believe with all my heart the Lord has really stirred up the church to begin to really walk in faith. Amen. I believe that God desires for you to be a Christian and a disciple, a believer that is full of faith. We talked for the first two weeks of this four-week uh, uh, this four-week sermon. That first week we said that you know daily faith is something that every person needs. Daily faith in the sense of seeking God daily, a daily prayer life. Amen. We talked about how your faith needs daily stimulation, not yearly activation. Amen. Faith is not for Christmas. It's not for when you get sick. It's for every day. Last week, we talked about faith from the perspective of, of seeing it from God's way. How do you think God sees your faith? Is, how does God react to your faith? I believe with all my heart that God wants you to be blessed. Okay, that didn't go over well. I should have underlined that. I should have said it differently. I should have said it black or something. I don't know. God wants you to be blessed. It's just, okay, that worked, I guess. You guys are emotional today. God desires that you live a blessed life. Regardless of how things may look now, regardless of how your situation may seem, I promise you if you read his word, God's sole desire is a prosperous life. Faith must propel you into a deep and rich personal relationship with God. The Bible says in Hebrews eleven six 6 that God rewards those who diligently seek him. Always seek him. Constantly seek him. God does not want you to be afraid. We looked at Mark 4.40 last week where Jesus recognized that the absence of faith was because of the presence of fear. If you have fear in your life, I promise you, church, you do not have faith. Perfect love casts out all fear. When you're perfectly in love with God, you're following God, you are not fearful. Amen? I want to talk to you today about how your faith affects God. Anybody ready? Turn in your Bibles to Matthew, the 8th chapter. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. How does your faith affect God? And this is what the scripture tells us. Reading from verse 5, the New International Version. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. <laughs> Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible Suffering. Somebody say terrible. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant 
will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell you this. I tell this one to go and he goes. I tell that one to come and he comes. Do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished. Your Bible might say he was amazed and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. And I say to you that many from the east and from the west and take their place at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, go, it will be done as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. In Matthew 8, we find Jesus in a city called Capernaum. Capernaum was a very small fishing village of about 1,500 people by the Sea of Galilee. It served as the center of Jesus' ministry. When Jesus grew up, he moved to Capernaum. Jesus lived in the town of Capernaum. He spent a great deal of time there. He did many miracles there. It was Capernaum where Jesus called disciples into service. Peter, Andrew, James, John, Matthew all lived in Capernaum. Jesus was familiar with Capernaum. He understood the culture of Capernaum and the way in which people in Capernaum believed. It is here in Capernaum that Jesus encounters the centurion of a Roman Empire. You see, a centurion is a military officer. He's in charge of anywhere from 100 men to 1,000 men. Some centurions were commanders and even more. They were battle-hardened men many times, given position due to great feats in battle, due to great uh, things they had done in the midst of turmoil and war. They were men, real men's men. They led from the front of the army. They were leaders who were the first to charge into battle with their men. They were not the kind of generals who stood in back fearful and afraid. He was a centurion, a fighting man, a soldier, and he approaches Jesus. He was a Gentile. He was not Jewish. He was Roman, but he boldly approached Jesus, the Israeli Hebrew rabbi. His beliefs were not the same as Jesus. He didn't believe as Jesus believed. He didn't understand who Jesus was. But yet, he knew he was a healer and believed in his power. Jesus, walking down the street of Capernaum, and this centurion, this Gentile, comes to him and requests a great miracle. Little did he know, he was looking into the eyes of the Son of God. There he was, an unclean, uncircumcised Roman in the presence of the Son of the living God. And yet he boldly approached and asked the master for a miracle. We see the centurion ask Jesus to heal his servant. And Jesus in the King James Version, it's posed as a question, shall I come heal him? Jesus said, do you desire that I go to your house to heal him? The centurion responded that the word of Jesus was good enough for he was not worthy of having Jesus come to his house. The centurion was telling Jesus that he understood how great the power Jesus had was. That if he merely would speak the word, he understood his servant would be made whole. <clears throat> what happens next is amazing because the scripture tells us that Jesus 
was amazed. Jesus was amazed at this unbeliever's faith. Jesus was amazed that this man who was not even an Israelite, who did not know the Judaic faith, did not know who Jesus was and could not understand, even if he knew who he was, could not understand how deep and profound it was that he was standing by the master, the creator of the universe, the the man, the, the man of God. He was wrapped in God, wrapped in the flesh. He did not understand who he stood next to. He did not understand that it was him who formed him in his very womb of his mother. He did not understand that. He did not understand that it was God who had given him the ability to fight, the ability to lead, the ability to command. He did not know who he stood in front of, but yet he approached him boldly and said, I need a miracle from you because I heard you're a healer and I believe that you can do it. And if you can do it, I would ask you to heal my servant. Don't come to my house. Say the word and it's done. And Jesus was amazed. And Jesus said, I have not found such great faith in all of Israel. Centurion was not Jewish. He was unclean. He was not even who Jesus came to preach to. Jesus made it a point to always say in the Bible, came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, not to the, not to the Gentiles. We read in Mark chapter 6 of the only other time Jesus was amazed in the Bible. You see, great faith amazes God. Great faith amazes God. Mark chapter 6, verse 5. Speaking of the childhood home of Nazareth where Jesus went to preach, it said he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few six people. And he, meaning Jesus, was amazed at their lack of faith. There's two ways, church, you can amaze God. Only two times in the Bible God was amazed. First time with great faith. Second time with a lack of faith. I came today to ask you, why are you amazing God? Is it because of faith or because of the lack of faith? When God looks your way, is he amazed? Is he saying, oh my God, look at my servant, my daughter, my son. They believe my word. They're full of confidence. What does he see you wounded, hurt, indecisive, not in control of your life? Completely just a wreck. Spinning out of control, in and out of believing him, in and out of faith, in and out of church. What does he see in you? Is it faith or the lack thereof? Why are you amazing God? Because you believe him or because you don't? Look to somebody next to you and say, are you amazing God? Centurion's faith was walking. He understood what Jesus could do. But when Jesus went to his hometown, my God, they did not believe in him. They said, isn't this just Mary's boy, the carpenter's son? Isn't that Joseph's little boy? We know his brothers and sisters. That's the problem with being familiar with Jesus. It's a dangerous place to be when you become familiar with God. When you become familiar with God, you have the potential to hinder your faith. When you come to church as usual with no expectancy, you hinder God being able to work out in your life. And you say to yourself, I'm going to go to church because I have to go. And because if I don't, people will talk about me. But I'm not going because I'm expecting something. I'm going because it's what I do. And when you come not expecting from God, you, say, you get so accustomed to being broken down and hurting. You get so accustomed, you think that's the norm. And you become familiar with God and you don't reverence God and you don't walk into God's presence saying, God, I know you can work out all of my situations. 
God, I know you can do amazing things. God, I know you can take anything that has been a negative in my life and you can flip, turn it upside down and make it be for my good. God, I know that you can take anything that has hurt me and make it make me heal at this moment. Is anybody here with me today? When you become familiar with God, you can walk into the presence of God. You can be with the best worship band in the city. And you won't even, you're just like, hey, man, yeah, that's cool. I've heard that song before. The song isn't even about you. The song is about God. The song, we don't sing it for you. We just sing it for God. And if you want to sing it with us, please come on along and do that. But if you weren't here, guess what? I would still sing the song. How's that song going? You're so vain. You think those things are about you? It just It's not about you. You don't have the opportunity to become familiar with God. I can't. I find it amazing <coughs> that when one stays in a church for a, a long time, which is a great thing to do, I believe in staying planted in the church. Without roots, you cannot grow. You're like a tree tossed in a store. In the book of Haggai talks about that. You're like a tree bending in every which way direction. The Bible says that we should be rooted in the house of God, planted like a, by, like a tree by a stream. And I find it amazing that people can get familiar with the church. When they first came in, it was powerful and they loved it. But now that, oh, I need something more. It's not that you need something more. You need to do something more. It's because you haven't grown and the person next to you finds life, but you find stagnancy because you can't get past yourself. Because that person wants to change their life, but this person wants to wallow in self-pity. This person wants to be powerful in God, and this person is like, man, being powerful in God means I have to change, and I pretty much like myself the way I am. Does your faith amaze God because it's great or because it's non-existent? There's two people in this room today, people who amaze God for a good reason and people who amaze God for a bad reason. There's no in between. Either you have faith or you don't. You don't have a little bit of faith. We talked about that last week when the Bible says, oh, ye of little faith. It's a sarcastic idiom. It is a verbal phraseology. It is a metaphorical, analytical analogy of something different. It's not talking about like really you have a little bit of faith. No, Jesus is being sarcastic. You you only got that much faith. That's nothing. It's language of the day. They have no faith. Either you have faith or you don't. Somebody ask your neighbor, do you have faith? Great faith commands that we move and operate in God's presence. God is here right now. Jesus is here. He's in the midst of us. I cannot afford to come to Jesus with an apathetic spirit that does not allow God to operate within me. I came to let God operate in my life. Every morning I wake up, I seek the Lord because I want him to operate in my life. A familiar spirit kills faith because now we get used to God's presence. We get used to all that God can do like building up a tolerance to morphine or some other medication after a while this doesn't have the same effect on you the morphine hasn't changed you've changed your body's changed god's presence doesn't change he's the same yesterday today and forever and if you're not affected by his presence it's not because of the fault with him there's a fault within ourselves amen i want god to be amazed by my faith not my faithlessness I want God to look at us and declare how amazing it is to see my servant step out in faith, to see my children do great things in my name because they believe that I could back them up. 
Jesus looks around at the crowd and declares, great faith like this have I yet to find in all of Israel. Jesus is talking now to his own people, his own disciples, the people who follow him. He's talking to the people of Capernaum. Although Jesus was in Capernaum a lot, we see that in Matthew eleven twenty three, Jesus tells Capernaum that they're going to go straight to hell. He told them just like that, Capernaum will fall to Hades, meaning you will go to hell because you have not believed my teaching. This is the people we saw, faithless people, people with no faith, people who heard Jesus preach thousands of times, saw him work miracles, and yet they did not believe the Bible says. Matthew 11, Jesus said, you will go straight to hell. He almost mocked them. He started off by asking a rhetorical question. He said, are you going to heaven? No. Capernaum will fall straight to Hades. Straight to hell. Why? Because they would not believe. Capernaum was a place where Jesus always was, but rarely was ever believed. In spite of what he did for them, in spite of what he taught them, in spite of what miracles he did, in spite of whose life he changed, whose life he touched, he was not believed. He was used and abused like a welfare system of healing. He was used as if he was just some ATM you come up to and get a miracle out of get an inspirational word to carry them through the week, but they did not believe who he was. He was not the son of God in their life. He was the son of God in their city. That's all right. That's, get the CD on that one. He might be the head of your life when you're at church, but not in your life. You see, it, it stuns me because when I think and I read the scripture, when he tells Capernaum, this city, I have not found any faith like this here, meaning in my base of operations. In my home base. This is where Jesus' entire ministry branched out of in Capernaum. He said, there's no faith here. He said, the people, the Gentiles, will be at the feast of heaven. But the people of the kingdom will be kicked out. Because they did not believe. Maybe you don't get this now. That's all right. A place where Jesus always was, but was rarely ever believed. Doesn't it sound like a place called church? A place you always come to let God touch you, but never change you. A place you come for emotional stimulation, but not spiritual activation. A place where God always rests. You always feel him, but you never change. Jesus, in effect, said, church folks won't get to heaven, but the people who aren't my people will. The unbelievers have more faith than believers, he says. The people who should know who I am, the people who've waited for me. Israel had been waiting for a thousand years for Jesus. They had been waiting for years for him, and here he is in the flesh, and they would not believe in him. How many of you are waiting for the rapture, yet he's here, he's here. Right now, as I speak, he's here, his presence here, resting on you, resting next to you, and yet we don't believe him. We see God as just some mystical presence. We speak as we believe him. We walk around like we believe him. We're in, we're in his area, we, we talk about we believe him. It reminds me of a person named Judas. 
If you would have asked Judas, are you saved? He would have said, yes, I walk with Jesus. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm one of his leaders. Je Judas Iscariot was the leader. He was, he was the treasurer. He was the leader. I follow. Yep, that's me. I follow Jesus. I've seen him do tons of stuff, but yet who sold Jesus out? Proximity to Jesus does not mean relationship. Do you believe him? This place reminds me that he's talking about of the church. A place where God always shows up. But a place where people rarely ever take him at his word. I told you many times God's greatest desire is to be believed. Not just on Sundays, but when things get horrible. You know, as I've been doing this faith thing, I've been going through hell. Not in my personal life, but in my spiritual, mental life. Just, just the attacks of the enemy coming after me. Thing after thing coming up against me. Causing issues in my mind that I've been having to fight for my life for the last couple of weeks. Haven't reached out to nobody, just been praying to God. Every morning, God literally shakes me and wakes me up 5.30, 6 o'clock every morning, commanding me to pray. I look at my clock and I'm like, really, Lord? Because I know that if I don't get up at 5.30, he'll wake me up at 4.30. That's just how God is with me. I've been going through hell, and as I preach about faith, God's challenging my faith. Faith stretches you. Faith is like going to the gym when you work out. The next day, you feel horrible. And if you're like me, my body doesn't react to two days later. And that's the day I wake up. I remember one time I, went, I worked out at the gym, and, and I got back in the car, and it hit me hard that day, and I couldn't even, like, turn my car. I'm like, I can't turn the wheel. I just, I almost got into a car accident. I kid you not. I kid you not. I remember I went to, I went to go work out with a trainer one day. Dude worked me out so bad, I, I threw up. It was horrible. Anybody been there? No? Just me? Okay. Alex, come on. Somebody help me out. Mel? Just, here's a story about it. True story. Two seconds here. I had just got my car tints done. My cousins, Yvette and Yvonne, had got my car tints done for my birthday the day before. So here I am in my car, and I'm like, I can't even lower my window. And I really got to throw up. I feel it coming. I threw up in my car. I just couldn't mess up my tents. It's horrible. You know, sometimes, sometimes acting out in faith makes you sick. Sounds crazy. Sometimes acting out in faith after you've done it, you're like, what did I just do? I gave a thousand dollars to the church. I was like, what? But if you stick with it, you see, faith isn't a one-time thing. You've got to stick with faith. God always comes your way. God always delivers. God always comes through. And Jesus is saying to these people of Capernaum, there's no faith here, but this unbeliever, man, this person doesn't even know who I am. He's full of faith. Jesus is talking to the people who in just a few years, he would, he would literally just tell them, you're going to hell. I don't know about you, but I want God to be amazed by my faith, not the lack of my faith. I want God to be able to see me as he saw Job and look at my good and faithful servant. Look at my servant Job, how, how he's, he's doing so great, and I blessed him so mightily. He loves me with all of his heart. He seeks me all the time. He never gives up on me. He pushes through all the tough times. His faith is not circumstantial. His faith is not conditional. It's everlasting, like my love for him. You see, 
The question is, do you have faith at all? We can't come here constantly and hear God but not follow God. I would challenge you that God is calling you to commit to a radical change in your life. A radical change is needed in us from the top on down. For me, myself, a radical change of believing God and having faith is needed in the church. A radical faith needs to grip the church that you begin to believe God and who he is and what he said and that he will come through on your behalf. That you would not be like a tree cast in a storm to and fro, but you would say, I'm planted and rooted in God and I will not be moved. I will not be shaken because I believe what God has told me to do. Let me tell you, son, I've come to the point in my life I have no choice but to believe God for the vision he's given me for my life. I have no choice but to trust God. Maybe you think you might have a choice where you can come to church or not. I don't have a choice. I've got to believe God. I've got no other choice. I've invested my whole life into this thing. And I believe passionately that God has called me for a purpose. I don't care what the naysayers say. I don't care what the gossipers say. I don't care what the backstabbers say. I don't care what no one says. I don't care how nobody out there looks at me. I know God accepts me. You can't reject me. I believe God so passionately about what he's called me to do. It's going to happen with it, whether because of you or in spite of you. God has a purpose for my life. You need to have that kind of faith that God has a purpose for you. God, can, he has a will for you. And it doesn't involve being hurt, broken. Jesus declared amongst his own people, listen, there's no faith among you. I believe many times he stands in the church and he says, we're singing songs to him, but he knows our hearts that when we leave here, there'll be no faith in us. We'll still fall back into the same patterns of life. We're living in, in dark days, church. We're living in the last days. The earth is in great crisis. Nation rising against nation. Famine widespread. Entire nations going bankrupt. Natural disasters and earthquakes are at an all-time high. Economic difficulties are global. Jesus declared, these are the signs of the end times. Now, more than ever, we need faith to believe who God is in your life. That the economy doesn't dictate how your finances will be. Every stimulus package in the world can come down from Washington, but I rely on Jehovah Jireh. Nothing, nothing, nothing dictates my faith in God. Not a circumstance. I don't care who's in office. I don't care who's running our local government. I am trusting God. There has to be a radical revolution of faith within the church that people get back to believe in God. God has not called me to pastor a church absent of faith. He's called us to be a church full of faith. This is our time that God has called to awaken us, to, to change the landscape of Connecticut. God deposited certain people all throughout the country, and he's put us in the Northeast for a very specific reason. And that is to change the spiritual atmosphere. When you begin to have faith, it's not just for you. It's to act like the faith of the person next to you. And they say, man, look at Carlos. He ain't have faith before, but now he's believing God. If he can do it, I know I can do it. I know I can make it. I know there's a purpose for my life, not just to live as a normal person, working a nine-to-five job and have no impact for eternity. But God has called me for something greater. 
I don't know about you, but I refuse to miss out uh, on what God has for me because I failed to believe him. I will act and do my part for God has called me not to be a spectator, but a partaker. Do you believe that God has called you? Do you believe that God has a will for you? Do you believe that God desires to be amazed by your faith, not the lack thereof? Because here's the important part. In verse 13, Jesus says to the centurion, your, your servant is healed according to your faith. <clears throat> yeah, according to your faith, as you believed. This was Jesus talking to the centurion, as you believed. If you don't believe, it will not be done. You can think it, but if you don't believe it with all of your heart, church, the thing you desire from God will not be done. In Matthew 9, 2, Jesus healed many of palsy because the Bible says he saw their faith. In Matthew 9, 29, when Jesus healed some blind men, he declared it was according to your faith. In Matthew 15, 28, when Jesus was approached by a sick woman who had a sick daughter, he said to her, listen, according to you, your faith, your daughter is healed. This story is beautiful because in the beginning, she's a Gentile. And he says to her, I did not come for you. I came for the people of Israel. She wasn't Jewish. He said, I did not come to you. And she said, Master, even the dogs get the crumbs from the, from, from the master's table. And Jesus looked at her. And Jesus, the Son of God, had just told her no. God had just said no. But she pressed in with faith. And the Bible says Jesus marveled at her faith and that no was turned into a yes. You think God said no because he didn't want you. He said no because he knew you wouldn't push. He said no because he, didn't want, he wants you to believe. I've heard God tell me no for some things. So I don't care. I'm still believing you. Could you imagine that? Your kid. Mom, Dad, I want that new Xbox for Christmas, whatever the newest toy out there is. Every morning waking up, man, you're going to get that for me. You know you don't, you're not getting that for him. He's just like, uh-uh. Mom's getting me an Xbox. Oh, yes. Yes, Mom's getting me an Xbox. I remember I did it to my dad. I had never gotten an expensive gift from my parents. We, you know, we weren't rich like that. We weren't, you know, had no money. A $300 Xbox was out of the question. It was out of the question. I kept on saying, no, give me that Xbox, Dad. Kind of playing, kind of dead serious. You know what I'm talking about? You say it as a joke, but you really, really mean it. It was like that, and I was like, hey, Dad, can't wait for that Xbox. I'm getting my fingers ready, Dad. I had never had a really game system before that except the little PlayStation, and, and that was all bootleg games because we had a special chip we put in the back. That's beyond the point. That's cool. It's a blockbuster, bootleg the game, played it. That's cool. Had to keep the top open. One day I broke it. Whatever. Yeah, I had to keep the top open because I had the legal chip in the back. Remember that, Ruben? You're good? All right, amen. It's called the game chip. Came with all the cheat codes for every game. It was awesome. We had a special order of this PlayStation from somewhere else. They didn't make them around here. And now I want an Xbox. And I'm telling my father, I want an Xbox, I want an Xbox, I want an Xbox. And I knew my dad didn't have the money. But being the kid that I was, I did not care. Had no bearing on me. Just don't pay the mortgage. Get my Xbox. Crazy. I need a game. So, what my father did was he talked to my sisters, I believe maybe he talked to my brother, and they all pitched in to get me this Xbox. And I woke up that, that, uh, that Christmas Eve, because we, 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 
giving our gifts out the, the day before Christmas to my family, and I knew I was getting that Xbox. Because if not, it would have been really awkward. <laughs> so I had to convince myself, Dad's going to get me that Xbox. And it's kind of what this lady did, where she's like, Jesus is like, no! She's like, well, even dogs eat crumbs from the master's table. He's like, whoa! She's, she's not going to leave me alone until I heal her daughter. Look at the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus. She says, hey, son, kid, there's no more wine. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do? It's not my time. And you know what she does? He just told her no. The Bible says she tells some two servants. She goes, do whatever he says. And walks away. Isn't that awkward? Jesus is like, what am I going to do? She's my mother. Expectancy can turn a no into a yes. Real faith, even though God said no, can turn it into a yes. That's great faith. Do you have great faith? In Mark 5, 34, Jesus declared to the woman with the issue of blood who touched his robe. He said, listen, according to your faith, you've been healed. Not according to you touching my robe. It was her faith that healed her. It was her faith that healed. Do you have the faith that you need? In Luke 22, 32, when Jesus said to Peter, Peter, Satan desires to destroy you. He says to Peter, but I pray for your faith to not fail you. He didn't say, I pray for you to get a big sword. I pray for you to be a hedge of protection around you. He, what, what's a hedge of protection? <laughs> Jesus said, I prayed for your faith. I prayed that your belief in me would not fail. I pray that your belief in me would not fail. It's according to your faith that God operates in your life. I believe our faith is the key to accessing what God has for us. Only by faith, only by faith will you access what God has for you. I believe that God desires to raise up people full of faith, believing in him with all their hearts, with not just your mouth, but with all your heart. I don't know about you, but I want to be a person who believes God. I want to be a person who seeks after God and nothing that comes near me affects me because I know God is with me. No situation can deter me. I know God is with me. If you take nothing from today, take this, that God has a purpose for you. And God desires for you to be full of faith. God desires for you to be full of faith. Believing him. Receiving his word changing your life, having a relationship with him, and having great faith. If you expect your faith to walk, if you expect your faith to be in action, church, you have to have real faith. Come on, stand with me in this moment. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. God desires great faith out of you. Come on, as the praise and worship team just makes their way to the front. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. We're just seeking the Lord right now. Come on, if you know him as your Savior, just lift your hands in worship. Come on, just lift your hands in worship and say, you know what, God, I'm here for you. 
I'm here for you, God, because I want you to stimulate my faith and activate it in this moment. God, I really want your faith to come over me like a river of living water. Come on, if you're struggling with faith, lift your hands as high as you can. Come on, I see you. Thank you. Lift your hands as high as you can. Pastor, I'm struggling with faith. I'm struggling and believing God sometimes. Come on, that's right. It doesn't always make sense. Come on, lift them as high as you can. You might get tired after a second, but that's all right. Lift them as high as you can. And see, you know, I need the faith that God has. <laughs> I know God has greater faith than what I have for me right now, but I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that it does exist. And right now, I desire for it to flood my life. The Bible says this. The Bible says that faith cometh by hearing the word of God. And let me tell you something. You just heard the word of God. You have to make a decision in this moment to simply believe God. To walk out this room, no matter what happens and what comes your way, to say, God, I know you have a purpose. I know you have a plan. And begin to speak with authority. I dare you this week to really believe God and say, God, you know what? I surrender all my things to you, and I believe that you're working it out. I need great faith, God. I need supernatural faith. I want my faith to amaze you for the good and not for the bad. God, I believe it with all my heart. I feel even people at this moment, you're doubting God. You're saying, God, is it possible? Can you do it for me, God? And the answer, church, is yes. Yes, God can do it for you. Matter of fact, God's already done it for you. You have to do like Apostle Paul said. He said, I forget what's behind me and I strain towards the future trying to grab hold of Jesus already grabbed hold of for me. You don't have to grab nothing new that Jesus has not grabbed for you in this moment. But rather, you can activate your faith in this moment. Come on, with every head bowed, every eye closed. With every head bowed, every eye closed, come on. You say, God, give me some faith in this moment. I dare you to begin to pray to him right now. He's right there with you. Come on, audibly pray right now. Don't worry about nobody listening to you. Audibly pray right now. Let the church cry out. Let the church pray. I challenge you to activate your faith right now. Begin to speak to him. For the Bible says, if one believes he is, he must come to God. That's right. Say, God, I believe you. God, I want you to come over me like never before. Things have never Oh, but my God has never been stronger. God, I know you have a purpose for me. No weapon formed against me or my family shall prosper, God. No weapon coming against my household shall prosper. No weapon coming against my finances shall prosper. I believe in you. I believe you have a purpose for me. God, I believe you will restore the years, the locusts have eaten. I believe you will bring healing to my mind. I believe you will bring an influx into my house. I believe you, God. I believe you. I somebody to shout, God, I believe you. That's right. Just tell them, I believe you, God. God, I trust you, God. I believe you, God. I believe you, God. I believe you. God's greatest need is to be believed. Come on, you believe him. Tell him right now, I believe you, God. I believe you, Lord Jesus. Jesus. Just lift up our hearts to you in this moment, Father God.
from this moment on, church, we're going to walk in that great faith. We're going to walk in that great anointing. We're going to walk who God has called us to be. Come on, dear Heavenly Father. Believing you, God. Taking you at your word. And Father, your word says those who put their hope in you are never put to shame. And we thank you, Lord. As we leave this place, let us not leave your presence, God. Give us traveling graces. In Jesus' name we pray. I'm going to have the worship team keep on worshiping. If you want to leave, you're free to do so. Come on, somebody give God praise.